beautiful, I am colored. A collection of true short stories and motivational thoughts by E.D. Booth. Copyright 2022 by E.D. Booth, also known as Evelyn Barnes. All rights reserved. No part of this book may be reproduced in any form or by any electronic or mechanical means, including storage and retrieval system, without the written permission of the publisher. Creative Director, Designer, Jane Brunton. Dedication. This little book is dedicated to all the people who have gone before me, especially Eddie and Joan Booth, Herbert and Shirley Wilson, Katie Murray, and Elvin Booth. These people impacted my life in the most profound way because they are who I descend from. I gleaned so much from my grandmothers, Joan and Shirley, about how to be a woman, wife, mother, and friend. To my mother, Jacqueline, I am thankful for your yes to birth me into this world and thankful for how you raised me to have a deep spiritual connection with God. To my father, who I have very limited memory of, thank you for being the conduit for my spirit to arrive on this earth and serve my purpose fully and wholly. To my grandfather, Eddie Lee Booth, you meant the world to me, and I am happy that I get to leave a legacy of words that will touch hearts and heal minds and souls. I learned so much from you, like hard work, perseverance, and desire to give back, even in the times when I may not feel adequate. You will always be remembered. To my husband and one true love, Thank you for growing up, literally, with me and helping me become the change I saw so long ago. You are my best and dearest friend. I could not have become the person I am without you. Here's to doing more life together. To Caitlin, Avery, Morgan, and Caleb Barnes, my children, you are all success stories. I'm honored that God would trust me to be a guide and support for you. I love you with my whole heart. To the many friends, co-workers, and family members who have positively spoken into my soul, I love you. Thank you for every push, every moment of discomfort, and most importantly, every prayer that was surrendered to God on my behalf. Introduction. When you read the following pages, You may find that you want to read more about a particular story or that one story ends abruptly. The stories are in no particular order as they are intended to be separate entries. My intent is not to frustrate you, but to model how I write in my own personal journals. I start with an unction or thought and then I write until I get it out. It doesn't have to follow the mechanics of academic writing. I just write as the thoughts come and when the thoughts leave, the writing stops. When I have to think too much about what I'm writing, it actually limits my ability to use freedom of expression. I can't begin to tell you how many times I tried to write a book over the last number of years. Several thoughts and ideas will come to me about how to best frame some of the stories of my life, but none of them would stick. For me, 
All things have purpose and meaning, so it was imperative that I write something from my heart that will have the potential to touch the hearts of others and also have the potential to change lives. If by the time you've completed this book that has happened, then I have served my purpose in sharing my life with you. As important as purpose and meaning are to me, time is just as important. And timing is everything. I don't know why the time to write is now, but it is. I don't question it. I just go with it because I've learned that there is great power when you apply action based on that little whisper telling you to go, do, now. I talked to my grandmother, Joan Booth, on February 26, 2017. And out of the blue, she says, You can write a book. You've lived long enough now and and have the experience. It doesn't have to be anything big. It could be small. You know, all your little thoughts you jot down. This was my grandmother's way of suggesting that I should use everything I've learned to create. And I hope I have honored her in following through with what she advised. At the time, I kind of dismissed what she said. And then I received a phone call from my best friend, Dominica, on the same day who said some inspiring things to me. After I got off the phone with her, I was in full tears and so contemplative. At that moment, what my grandmother said registered so deeply that I knew exactly the layout of this book and how I wanted to present it. Years and years of me starting and stopping, and suddenly, in one moment, I was given the answer. I was humbled and knew I had to move immediately, otherwise this opportunity may well be lost. In addition to my grandmother, there was one friend, Deborah, who also encouraged me to write a book. On multiple occasions and over the course of more years than I can count. So, here I am doing what my grandmother suggested and my friend encouraged me to do. Truthfully, I have not always felt confident, strong, or beautiful. It has taken what seems to be forever for to come into my own. I had to do a lot of work, some of which you will read about in the following pages. Change, my friend, is hard. I don't care what anybody says. If someone tells you that change is easy, chances are they are lying to you. Do you realize the significance of today? I didn't. For about 18 years of my life, I lived in the past, a past that neither I nor anyone else for that matter could change or ever will. I chose to let circumstances rob me of some incredible moments. I don't say this from a place of perfection or even arrogance, but from a place near and dear to all of us, humans. The heart. You see, for years I resigned myself to the comfortable yet infuriating state of wanting to do something different, but not fully knowing how or possessing the right tools to do it. And what I found is that there is much more freedom in living in today than focused on things of yesterday. So to fully understand what I'm talking about, I must tell you the major stories that have impacted my life thus far. My life is not better or worse than any other human beings, but it has been very colorful. And now I want to share some of those colorful moments with you to show that there is hope and love and that love always, always, not a typo, conquers all. I actually have that phrase tattooed on my skin. You may find some of the stories difficult to read because I share some painful moments, but please know that even as I write and edit this book, that healing continues to take place. 
And if by chance you've experienced some similar things, I pray that in my sharing, you will also experience healing. Writing prompts have been added at the end of each story to help guide your writing. But please don't let the writing prompts be a distraction or limit you and what you want to write about. The journal pages are for you, so use them as you see fit. God created only one you. Even if you are multiple, there is only one you made up of millions yet billions of cells with a brain that thinks and behaves only the way you think and behave, which sets the stage of life for an amazing opportunity for you to be or become the best version of yourself possible. You owe it to yourself. Author's comment. When trying to figure out what to title my book, um, or I should say the reason why my book is titled Beautiful I'm Colored is because oftentimes we associate the negative things that have impacted us, you know, as as dark or, or, or not willing to um, acknowledge how much it has contributed to who we have become. So it's Beautiful I'm Colored because it's the composition of everything that has got me to this place that I am today. Not that I've arrived at any certain point, but I'm certainly not where I was, say, two, three, four, and certainly not 10 or 20 years ago. So Beautiful I'm Colored is motivational, inspirational sharing of short stories that have contributed to the color of me, my personality, my character, my traits, essentially. And so I do hope you enjoy Beautiful I Am Colored. Foundation is everything. The first sexual violation in my memory occurred on the backside of Pearly Gates Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. I do not recall my actual age, but I know for sure that I was not school age and had to be younger than five years old. The perpetrator was a much older boy who was also a friend of the family, but I do not recall his specific age. We were on the backside of the church when the boy pulled out his penis and had me stroke it. I vaguely remember not being sure how to process what was taking place, but at the same time, it was the beginning of an awakening to senses that arguably shouldn't be awakened until an appointed time, and that time should be defined by me. Even though I was not cognizant of sexual encounters, nor was I able to understand what was going on, I knew that something was terribly wrong with this type of behavior. Little did I know that there would be a series of encounters like this one at the hands of so-called friends, friends of the family, or family. The second earliest memory I have took place on a patio in Corner Village Apartments, also in Memphis, Tennessee. This was a low-income apartment complex full of what seemed to be a lot of women. The patio was small, stamped concrete-ish, with a tiny wooden fence around your little piece of earth. I assumed that they designed it this way to make the space feel intimate and personal. I don't remember ever seeing too many men around, just women and children, predominantly black women and black children. I was at one of my mom's friend's homes in the complex, 
either visiting or being babysat. This friend's son was around my age, and it seemed to be convenient for us to be curious about each other's private parts. What do you have versus what do I have? Again, my body was awakened. Years later, my mom would have a boyfriend who would also prove to be untrustworthy. I remember him having a cool car and motorcycle, and he would ask me if I wanted to learn how to drive or if I wanted to take a ride on the bike. I don't recall the exact order of these events, but I do know that this boyfriend had quite a few encounters with me. One of those moments happened when my mom thought it a good idea for my brother and me to stay the night at his apartment so we could go fishing over the weekend. This boyfriend had a small boat too. When it came time for bed, we made pallets on the floor of this boyfriend's living room. At some point in the night, this boyfriend decided to, quote, check, end quote, to see if I had wet the bed. I had already developed a pattern of bedwetting, which we now know to be a sign of trauma, but back then I was just simply embarrassed that I couldn't wake myself up to go pee at night. I remember being startled at his touch, and when I asked what he was doing, he said something like he was just checking on me. At some point, I was asked if I wanted to learn how to drive his Camaro. When I says yes, what kid wouldn't, he said I would need to wear a dress with no panties. Thankfully, I never took him up on his offer. I was offered a ride on his motorcycle, and I took him up on it. He was to drive me to my grandparents' home in the countryside, for which I thought I knew the route. In Memphis's countryside, where my grandparents lived, there were no street lights, so at night it was very dark. If the moon wasn't out, it could become very dark to see at night, so I couldn't provide directions like I would have been able to had it been daylight. It seemed like as soon as we were under the cover of darkness, this boyfriend of my mom's reached one of his hands behind his back to slide in between my legs. I don't remember what happened after that, nor do I remember ever getting to my grandparents' home. To this day, I hate motorcycles because of these encounters. I think I might have liked fishing more than I do now, but again, an encounter at a young age contributed to my not enjoying the sport. It's very weird for me to start my first chapter with these stories, but the truth is that molestation and the guilty feelings associated with it have actually contributed greatly to who I have become. Those early encounters of direct and indirect sexual exploration foster in me a sense of distrust in almost everyone I come across. It is very rare that I exhibit trust on first meeting someone. There is always a sort of, quote, courtship, end quote, that takes place on my part. And this courtship is mostly conducted via observation. I watch and I watch. Your actions. Are they consistent? Consistence of what I perceive to be good? Consistent of what I perceive to be bad? This type of behavior is not healthy, I know. But nonetheless, it has contributed to who I have become. The mother I am. The wife I am. The friend I am. The sister I am. The daughter I am. The cousin I am. The niece I am. The grandmother I am. The one who most people trust. But here's the great news. 
I don't have to allow all those negative encounters that happened so long ago to dictate my future or my children's futures. I can choose. I can choose to learn from them, have them build me up rather than tear me down and be an example of hope and a future to others. In fact, I have allowed those encounters to slowly evolve me into the me I always knew was there. My spirit is stronger and not broken. My love is greater and not diminished. I am who I am because I choose to live a life full of abundance and worth. And dare I say it, be the standard. In the blank pages that follow, let your pen be used as a tool of healing as you do what my grandmother told me to do. Just write. Whatever is on your mind, get it out. Don't think about it. Don't check for spelling or grammatical errors. Just get it out of you. Good, bad, or indifferent. But write. Reflective questions. What do you think of these experiences I shared with you? Have you had similar sexual experiences as a child? How have those experiences shaped you, your life, who you are? Beautiful I Am Colored, Walk of Shame. I have two sisters and one brother, but I'm the oldest. My youngest sister is 10 years younger than me. Recently, she reminded me of a very painful time in my life. I had buried it so deep, I had forgotten all about it. When I got pregnant, my mom had me do what I would now call the quote, walk of shame, end quote. That is, my mom had me go in person and tell my grandparents that I was pregnant. I also had to stand before our church and confess the sin as well. This experience of confessing my sin before family and church was one of the most humiliating things I've gone through. I was also embarrassed because I was actively involved at my church and I felt the weight of letting people down. I never intended to be a disappointment, but felt that I had let everyone down. The hardest confession was when I had to tell my paternal grandparents. Maybe it was the hardest for me because aside from my brother Floyd, they were all that was left of my dad. And no one wants to let their dad down. But you know what happened when I told them I was pregnant? My grandmother, Joan Booth, came to my aid. She said something to the effect of, it's going to be all right because no one in this room is innocent. And her words were just enough to give me the strength I desperately needed in that moment. So much of that time has been blocked out. I do remember feeling ashamed. I had only been with one person, but still felt the guilt associated with being perceived as the fast girl. Parenthetical insertion. Being fast is something girls were labeled when other people thought they were moving too fast in a romantic or intimate relationship. In parenthetical insertion. My interpretation is that it's the southern classy way of calling a girl a slut, as I am not certain that fast was vernacular used elsewhere in the country. 
Years later, I can tell you that I did not remember confessing before the church until my sister reminded me during our conversation about this book. When she reminded me, it brought up some old feelings, and I began to feel that sharp pain in the back of your throat when you're about to have an ugly cry. This was my sign that more healing needed to happen. Arthur's comment. This part of the book was actually very difficult um, for me to write because as you get busy with life and moving on, it really is very easy to get acquainted with suppressing truth, especially if it's a truth that has harmed you. At least that's what I've come to learn. And I will just say that Anytime I've gone through something and felt like I have received like healing or I've gotten through it, but I revisit it. And then those, your body, right, always gives you certain cues that maybe you need to do some more work. So when I say about, or when I describe about feeling the sharp pain um, in the back of my throat, um, clearly I have more work to do and my work is not yet done. Um, Just as a reminder, you know, in the intro I talked about, you know, this is a healing journey for me. So as much as I'm sharing these stories about my life, I'm still going through a healing journey, right, which is a process. And so I wanted to just share that briefly with you um, before I continue on in the story. End author's comment. No one is perfect, but I've been told that I can be a perfectionist. This label is something I do not agree with, although I see how people can interpret it that way. I mention perfection because all of us reach a point where we need others to help us. For those of us who abhor asking others for help, this can be a challenge. Because I still felt a little pain with the memory, that was my cure to reach out and get additional therapy and continue to work on myself. One of the lessons I've learned and I'm able to implement more quickly without having months or years of lag, is to do what works best for me in my healing journey. Personally, I love structure. So for me, finding the right therapist to provide practical steps to take was key. May I encourage you to get help if you need it? It is not a sign of weakness, but rather a resource to help you become the best version of you. However, if you do decide to find a therapist, vet them. Make sure that you are compatible and that their method is something you can accept and implement. Reflective questions. Do you remember a time of shame during your childhood or early adulthood? Write about it here. What was the incident? How old were you? How did you feel then? How do you feel now? Beautiful, I am colored. And away we go. I graduated from high school in May 1996. And a few days after the ceremony, Marlon, my high school boyfriend turned husband, and I packed up my 1989 Toyota Camry and headed across the country from Memphis, Tennessee to Boulder, Colorado. A couple of years prior, Marlon was awarded a scholarship to attend the University of Colorado at Boulder. It was time for our daughter, Caitlin, and me to move so our little family could be permanently reunited. At the time, Our oldest was a year old, and we were 18 and 19 years old with a vision and a plan that most thought was crazy. Plenty of people doubted our decision, family included. 
but we believed that we could do anything if we did it together. The trip was roughly 18 hours, so a stop was required at the midway point. When we approached Kansas, the weather turned dreadfully dangerous as rain pelted the windshield of the car so hard we could barely see inches in front of the car. I had never seen dark gray clouds so low. It was as if I could reach my hand out of the window and touch them. I remember praying that we would make our destination safely, and thankfully we did. Leading up to our arrival, Marlon and I had both saved up as much money as we could to cover the deposit for family housing at the University of Colorado. We lived in a small two-story unit. It was our first place, and although we didn't have any furniture, and I mean nothing, we slept on the floor for the first week, and Caitlin slept in the car seat. We were content. Boulder was absolutely gorgeous, and the city beautiful. But there was a pit in my stomach when we arrived. I'm not sure if I sensed what lay ahead or if I was experiencing homesickness, but as happy as I was to be there, something was off. Reflective question. Have you ever experienced an internal warning? What happened when you ignored it? What happened when you listened? Author's comment. I remember like the weather being so incredibly bad when we took this road trip um in 96 um from Memphis to Boulder. I'm didn't get to it in time enough for this recording, but I am certain that if the farmer's almanac is referred to that you will find that there were like a series of tornadoes um the weekend that we moved from Memphis um to Boulder. And I mean, thankfully, we definitely made it safely. But oh my goodness, the weather was so, so incredibly bad. Um, but I think also points to how committed we were to, you know, reaching our goal. And I can honestly say that we're still pretty much like that today, uh, a milder, older version of, of that. But we definitely still take calculated risk and still live life to the fullest. End author's comment. Beautiful, I am colored. Longing for dad. I have two memories of my father. Both were times of correction of my behavior. The first encounter I recall was at the dinner table where we were all seated. My brother, mom, dad, and me. I was asked to pass the knife and I handed it sharp end first and was immediately told to never pass the knife that way. The second time, I got a spanking. For what, I do not recall. But I do recall a feeling of sadness, not because of the spanking, but because I felt I had disappointed him for whatever I had done. My father died by the time I was four. And although I did not know the meaning of death, I knew it was a sorrowful thing. My mother took us to the wake. I later found out that she would not allow us at his funeral. I'm not sure about other cultures' funeral ceremonies or practices, but at black folks' funerals, people can act a full-class monkey. So I think my mom wanted to protect us, my brother and me, from that. 
I still remember how he looked in the casket. I can see the large scar going down the middle of his forehead, the result of a drowning incident, I was later told. My father's death has always been a great mystery of my life. Whether he was good or bad, why couldn't I have known him? Why didn't I get the opportunity to decide to like him or not? This was my first experience of grief. What I know from experience is that grief comes in many forms. This grief I mentioned at the time was the grief from never remembering my father telling me he loved me or that he would protect me. The grief in knowing that there was no one who could ever take his place. Reflective questions. Have you lost someone you loved or been close to someone who lost a loved one? What were or are your thoughts about grieving? Grieving.